All right, the Lord is good. If you are blessed, give me an amen. Amen. All right, let's declare God's word together as we begin to study. What we are doing is activating the power of God to give us understanding. RB time calls it the grace apparatus for perception. Do you like that? (laughs) It's called the grace apparatus for perception. The expression itself is confusing, but if you have the grace apparatus for perception, you will understand the meaning of the grace apparatus for perception. Are you getting my point? What he means is that everybody can understand the word of God. So please turn to one person and give him information about yourself. Are you getting my point? Catch one person and preach to the person in case he doesn't know you yet. All right? The Lord is good. And I want you to declare it like you are activating the grace apparatus for perception. Now, I want to let us go. Now I declare that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And I'm being filled with the knowledge of his will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding, as a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I am pleasing him in all respects. I am bearing fruit in every good work, and I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to his word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area, and it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 That's very convincing. Give me another amen. Amen. Today, understanding has come to you again in Jesus' name. Amen. That confusion of soul is declared gone in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. As you are standing, as you are sitting here today, because you have come here today, or you have tuned to this channel on you know, the internet, or you have uh, put on this message to listen to, for that reason, for that act of faith, God will fill you with insight in the name of Jesus Christ. All right, the Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. Let's settle down. Let's get into the teaching. Okay, so true service of God, that's what we have been looking at, and I want us to continue again. We have, in fact, I don't know whether we're going to finish that before this year is over. I'm not in a hurry. It's one of the most important things that Christians must understand. And that's why we have been taking time out to go through it again step by step, here a little and there a little, so that the people of God can have understanding. Okay, so First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. I'm just going to go straight there because we have read that context many times. First Peter chapter 2. It said, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He said, For once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. There was a time your name was, you have, not, you have not received mercy. But now this is the situation, you have received mercy. And that is what we are looking at. What do we mean by this? The last two messages, um, I believe they are very, very crucial. Important doctrines that we established looking at that. Uh, looking at this particular thing, the last two times we spoke on this subject. And that is the fact that we are the ones that God explains himself through. We are the demonstration of God's righteousness. If something is wrong, if something is right, if God wants to show that what he's doing is correct, the way he does it is through the people of God. I hope you're getting my point. We said that God sometimes will look at somebody that looks evil and does not punish the sin that he committed. Why? Because he offered the blood sacrifice. And the same God established that the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin. So why did he not punish that person, even though the blood of bulls and goats could not take away sins? God's righteousness in that he did right must be explained. And that was explained when Jesus came. We read that from Romans chapter 3. That when Jesus came, we read around verse 25 and verse 26, that the coming of Jesus was the demonstration of the fact that God was right when he overlooked sin. It's not as if the sin, because sin was stored up and it was not punished. His indignation did not come against some people's sins because they claimed they repented. They claimed that they have offered a, um, a sacrifice. And we said that, okay, that does not solve the problem. Jesus said, and God said, don't worry, the problem is solved. And how was it proven to be right? When Jesus came and made an atonement, and that atonement covered the sins of previous generations, we said, ha-ha, God is righteous. We also saw from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that he says we are also the demonstration of his righteousness. What does that mean? That one we read all the time. 
Him that knew no sin, he made sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We say, what does that mean? That when they look at us, we say, they say God is righteous. So when Jesus, who was an impeccable lamb of God, he was not a lamb actually, he was just a person who was going about his personal business, it looked like. Then he was taken okay, and sacrificed for sins he did not commit. That was unjust. That was not right. But you have to demonstrate that God was right. Okay, and how did he do it? He said that we are the demonstration of the fact that God was right. Do you follow my point? That is, you look, you look at people that did not have mercy. Now they have received mercy. He said, why? He said, you see, that's what I was doing when I was punishing Jesus for doing nothing. Actually, I was punishing Jesus for their sins that they might receive the blessing that Jesus deserved. The angel said, okay, that means you were right. You knew what you were doing. Are you getting my point here? You've been to a man before, maybe a doctor, all right, or an engineer or a technician somewhere. He was supposed to work on something on your car and then, or or your body, or whatever it is. Initially, you're worried that he doesn't know what he's doing. But then when he's done, he says, okay, he knew what he was doing. I remember, (laughs) of course, just as an illustration. Once when I was a medical student, we were in clinic, and the ear, nose, and throat clinic. And our lecturer was teaching, and a little girl came, and she was going deaf. She couldn't hear. Of course, the mother was frantic. She, you could see the worry on her face. And then the man had just turned to us, and just smiled and said, uh, let me make it, uh, make it short. It's a simple case of, he gave us the name of the condition. That's not a big deal. It's very common in children of this particular age. Instantly, the mother began to smile. Are you getting me? Okay, but this is where I'm going. <laughs> you now gave her a, and so a, some drops. No, you now wrote a prescription. That you are going to go to the pharmacy. They will give you these drugs that drop it in, his no, in her nose three times a day. Ah, excuse me, sir, you forgot. We came with hearing problem. Do you get the point? And the man has said, oh, no, 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 don't worry about it. We know. I know it's the ears, but drop it inside the nose. I want the, nose, the head lifted, drop these things at the back of the nose, and let it trickle down, do that like three times a day. And he turned to those of us who were young students and he explained the principle behind dropping it in the nose. Now, if you have ear problems and the doctor says, drop it in the nose. Just by the way, some patients are so stubborn. I've seen them many times. They will leave that place and say, I don't understand. I better bring your ear. <laughs> yeah, they do it all the time. Patients. <laughs> they are fantastic human beings. Now, so, assuming that, so this particular, it looks odd. But, you know, after a few days, the girl's hearing will begin to clear, all right? Now, for those who are wondering why, let me teach you some more anatomy. The truth is that what is blocking the ears from hearing well is at the back of the throat. Yeah, that's the reason. So, in case you are wondering. Okay, but because it's, a, it's, it's not, a, it's not Usaheba, and it's not a... <laughs> 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 You know, the way doctors do things slightly different, Okay. <laughs> We follow, that's why we have spent the first um, few years in school learning the way things work. Normally, they take a body and dissect to pieces to show everybody this way things are arranged. So the thing blocking the ears actually was not inside the ear. Was, it, it opens into the back of the throat, a canal in the ears, opens to the back of the throat, and something there sometimes swells and blocks the canal. And then the ear you know, gets filled with fluid. That's why the little girl is not hearing. So his idea was that put this thing, it will shrink that obstruction, and that thing will clear up. Now imagine that this man, the woman is confused. Why do I come with ear problem? You give me something to put in the nose. And the man said, just obey me. Have faith. After a week, when the guest has hearing, it is called the demonstration of the righteousness of that doctor. Are you getting my point? Him that did not come, come with sickness, you made to take medicine. That, are you getting what I'm trying to say? The ear did not, the nose did not come with sickness. But you put medicine in the nose that you might remove the sin inside the ear. And what is the demonstration of your righteousness? The girl that recovers and she's hearing well. Are you getting the point here? So when Jesus came and he died without any sin in him, yet he died the death of the sinner, it didn't make any sense. It was an assault on the righteousness of God, God's sense of justice, because he's the judge of the whole earth. So the angels wondered, what are you up to? And then when they saw you, and then when they saw me being renewed, 
Are you getting my point? When they saw a man like Saul that should die, being, becoming the apostle of the Lord Jesus, when they saw people who were given up to, for, as being dead, and they saw them brought back to life, when they saw sicknesses healed, when they saw people transformed, they saw the curse of Noah vanish, they now looked at God and said, yes, we knew it, but now you have proven it, that you know what you are doing. That God knows what he's doing is what is called his righteousness. Let's get these things clear. Those terminologies have real meaning. It means that you and I are the justification for everything that God did to the Lord Jesus. And what am I trying to say here? So we have the duty to cooperate with him in life, to walk in such a manner that the world will know that Jesus did not die in vain. That's why I said you fight slavery of all kinds. Don't let the world buy your destiny. Jesus died for that destiny. Are you getting my point? You must understand it. What you are doing, you know, you are not living for yourself. You are living for him who died and rose again on your behalf. That I must show that he didn't waste his money. Can I, can I use that expression? Yes. Spiritual money. Yes. It's like maybe your father didn't, he wasn't rich, your mother is not rich, and then they struggled, got money to send it through school. And somebody now said, come, let's run and go and play one kind of rough play. He said, no, I know what my father has suffered to make me come here. He said, sorry, I'm not doing that. That I might make sure that his suffering is not in vain. That's what our life is. God said, make sure that the suffering of Jesus in your life is not in vain. If he says this is your portion, like I say all the time, if I find something in the book, that is the Bible, I tell God, even if it's not important to me, I want to experience it. Why did you write it there if you don't want us to experience it? Once it's written there, let's experience it. I like one thing Ken Hagee would tell some people he's ministering to. They said, don't worry, don't worry. Maybe an old woman, she's sick, she has cancer, eating her all over. And they come to pray. He said, don't bother praying, I've served the Lord, I'm 78 years old, I think I can die in peace now. Ken Hagee would say to her, Ma, you can die if you want to die. I have no problem with your dying. But I just refuse for you to die like this. And I want you to be with me. Refuse that you will die this way. Let us pray. You get healed. After you have gotten healed, then fall down and die. Are you getting my point? It's not a problem. But right now, we are going to prove that Jesus died for your sickness. And he will begin to share the word of God. First of all, I have two of those stories that he told. All right? In mind. In both cases, he will preach God's word to these people until they accept that yes, let's go for it. Then they continue to preach the word of God to them until that word acts upon... It doesn't teach them anything fantastical. Like say after me. No, just explains. Listen, Jesus died. This sickness has been taken away. And as they begin to accept it, and they begin to believe it, and they start looking forward to a new life, the sickness starts dissolving. And we're not talking about small sickness. Not malaria. Not this funny typhoid fever all over Nigeria. The real typhoid doesn't even know what we're talking about. This, you know, there's joke typhoid. The real, not the real typhoid, I'm talking about what we call typhoid. This is a real sickness. Cancer. Eating people's body up. Doctors said, we can't treat anymore. Go home and die in peace. Yet, the sickness will melt away as the word of God is coming into the person's life. And many years after, 10 years, 15 years after, the old woman that said, it's okay, let me die in peace, now realizes that life is possible. After being healed of cancer at the age of 70-something. At the age of 85, still going around preaching the gospel. What is that called? The demonstration of his righteousness. I hope you are getting my point here. That's what our life is about. That's what we've been looking at. Alright, so the Lord is good. And please let me just encourage everybody. Make sure that's how you are living your life. You are living your life in such a manner as to prove that God is righteous. There's something I said last time. Let me say it again. Every decision you make in life... You are making a statement about your God. God cannot be seen. That's why his name is always attached to people. You read the whole of the Old Testament. He always looked for whose life to attach his name to. The God of Abraham. He managed that for some years. Then he added the God of Isaac. Managed that again for some years. Added the God of Jacob. Jacob. Managed that for some years and called himself the God of Israel. Managed that for some years. Then finally, the Lord Jesus appeared. And he got a new name. Two new names there. One, God the Father of our Lord Jesus. And Paul called him his second name. God our Father. Those are the two names. 
<laughs> that is, the same way he attached himself to Abraham, the way he attached himself to Isaac, the way he attached himself to Jacob. It, it will surprise some people. I hear many people teach. They don't teach it complete. God drops those people's names. I don't know whether you are getting my point. God doesn't call himself the God of Abraham anymore. He doesn't. He doesn't call himself the God of Isaac anymore. He does not. It will surprise you. People, you know, the way we say shout, God of Abraham, he doesn't like it. Did you hear what I said? Is he wrong? Is he evil? No. Just inferior. You know the way it is. You've seen people write their degrees. The man goes to school, he gets a BSc, he writes his name. The Obuntarigi of Nigeria, BSc. Are you getting my point? Then he goes and gets an MSc. He writes BSc, MSc. Then one day he gets a PhD, he drops the BSc, drops the MSc, and just writes his name, Obuntarigi, PhD. You see it everywhere. Everybody knows that for him to have a PhD, he must have gotten a BSc and an MSc. So now, the BSc is not wrong. But it's inferior to what he has now. God of Abraham is not wrong. But it's inferior to his current name. He's proud of the name he has right now. That's why you read the Bible. Only once in the book of Acts, when Peter was telling story to Jews, did he call him the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. After that, he, Paul didn't make that mistake. Every time, he called him God our Father. What does that tell you? The thing he brags on now is that he's your father. So you don't live anyhow. You are representing somebody. The way he was called the fear of Isaac, now he's called your father. I hope you are getting my point. Remember, he was called what? The fear of Isaac. In the same manner, he says now, I am being called your father. So you, be careful you don't go out and disgrace me. You know the way we say it. Don't disgrace your father. That's the work of God we are talking about. Everywhere you go, you go into politics, you sit on the table, just realize, whatever you do here will be ascribed to your God. You are a husband. The husbanding principle is ascribed to your God. The name he bears now is not God of Abraham. Let me tell you why it's not God of Abraham. It's not as if he's not, he hasn't forgot, forgotten Abraham. Abraham is a nice guy. He's still there. Abraham's bosom. There are places named after Abraham, even the spiritual realm. Okay? But the truth is this. He looked and said, we used Abraham to bring something superior to this earth. And your ancestors, in quote, natural descent now, they did not know who Abraham was. So it's not relevant to him anymore. What is relevant is that you, your life must describe, must describe his character. It must describe his nature. I also said something last time. Let me say it again. Listen to this. Oh. Any decision you make in life must reflect the integrity of his word. You must show that you believe it. That is, not, I mean, that, is, that is a very important thing in this life. Any decision you make in life must never contradict his word. Otherwise, you are undermining his integrity. If God says a man's life does not consist in the abundance of things which he possesses, you live your life like that. You live it like that. If he says to you that we are one body, if you are pastor, founder, general overseer of your own mission, don't ever forget, we are, there's one father, one baptism, one spirit, one Lord. We we'll study that on Tuesday. You live, you are the general overseer, founding superintendent, metropolitan bishop of your, <laughs> of your denomination. It's important you bear it in mind. In, when you are making decisions in that church, if you don't want God to kick your candlestick out of his place, you must never undermine that thing called the body of Christ. There is one body, one spirit, one baptism, one hope, and one father who is over all. Everything we do in life must establish, are you getting my point? The integrity of his word. It must. That's what we're talking about. So that's where we are. Let's continue from that point. So that's why we read this. Have we read it? Did you read anything just now? Okay, all right. So that's what, we have been, that's what we've been explaining. Now we're continuing from that particular point to establish the fact that, if I let just read them, um, there are two scriptures I'd like to read. It always helps me to make a point. 
Let's see what he said. Well, there are two. Um, which one do we read first? Let's read one from the book of Revelations first. Then we'll go down to one of the temptations of the Lord Jesus Christ. This one, I particularly like um, the expression of it in the King James Bible. Because you use the word, the kingdoms. So the kingdom of this world, chapter 11. I'm going to read it in the one I'm using now, and they're also in um, King James English. It says, verse 11, verse 15, Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and it will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God, the Almighty, who are and who were, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. Now, if you read that in the King James Bible, there's an expression, the way they use it there is this. This is the expression. It said, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. I like that kingdoms, there's a particular reason. Though, I mean, some will say that is the right one, I don't know which one, but there's a reason why I like that kingdoms, the, the plurality of that expression. If you go down to one of the temptations of the Lord Jesus Christ, let's just open to anyone, look, um, let's say Matthew chapter, um, chapter 4. Just open to any one of them. I just want to quickly, let's just uh, look, anyone, choose anyone you like. I just want to look at the, the temptations of the Lord, that is the one that Satan tempted the Lord there. Now you see what he said to him in verse um, 8. I'm using the New American Standard. He said, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms. Did you see that? Of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now, I read this to let you know that one of the things that the devil tempted the Lord with was the kingdoms of the world. And I like that plurality there to show that the world has many kingdoms. Now, you must understand that the way things are structured in the world changes from time to time, but the principle remains the same. Here, maybe they were looking specifically at geographical kingdoms. For example, you had the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of Judah. You had maybe Syrian kingdom, all right? The Assyrian had their own. You, uh, the Babylonian had at the time. And then the, the Romans were the ones ruling at this particular point in time. That is one aspect of it. So different geographical um, the, uh, jurisdictions existed. But apart from that, there are other kingdoms also that exist even within each particular area. If you've read books like uh, The Seven Mountain Prophecies, is that the name of the book? Seven Mountain. You sure it's mountain? Not Seven Hills. Okay. <laughs> okay. Now they will talk about how the, the, the social structure of life has different uh, mountains. So there's one of education, there's mountain of entertainment, there's mountain of uh, maybe governance. There are different areas, all right, which we can use this expression, kingdoms. To, expl- to explain at this particular point in time. We can use the expression kingdoms to refer to them. That is, there is a kingdom, all right, in trade. There's a kingdom in trade. There's a kingdom, all right, in healthcare. There's a kingdom in entertainment. There's a kingdom in, in, in um, education. All of these are kingdoms of this world. Now, you see something here. Satan has an, had an idea of the kind of thing that God wanted to do in the life of the Lord Jesus. I don't know how he got the idea anyway. But what I said something to you before, that if Satan offers somebody something and successfully gives the person that thing, that was what God wanted to give the person in the first place. Satan cannot give you what God did not plan to give you. He can't. He cannot. He can't give you what God never wanted you to have. The only thing, because you see, he doesn't create anything. The only thing he can do is to change the method by which you get it. That's the only thing he can do. Like we saw here, two references. One from Revelation chapter 11 and one from the book of Matthew chapter 4. 
about the temptation of the, the temptations of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw that Revelation chapter 11. What happened to his life? The kingdoms of this world became his own. That was the same thing that Satan was offering him at the beginning. Are you seeing that here? It is what God wanted to give him that Satan offered him. The difference, the difference is a method he will go through to achieve it. And that was why David said that whatever you want to do in life, check for the door of righteousness. We're not going to look at that now. He said, enter by the gates of God. Things have different entrances. What you enter by decides what you get at the end of the day. So he said, you want to enter into prosperity? Make sure you enter by the gates of God. That's what David said in Psalm 118. He said, open to me the gates of righteousness. That is, I want to enter into a thing. I must make sure I use the proper entrance. It is what you enter through that decides what you get at the end of the day. Now, so you see here, what was Satan offering? Listen, I will give you the kingdoms of this world. And Jesus did not, he didn't fall for it. Did he get the kingdoms? He did. But this time around, he got it a different method. The first method was, bow to me. Let me say it again. People bow to Satan every day. What is bow to Satan? It is not, look, let me just say this. I said something earlier. The arrangement of things change on this earth. Eh? But the principle is the same. There was a time they put a, a, a shigidi down. You know what they call shigidi? You don't know what shigidi? All right. I mean, it's modern English. You guys should learn some modern English. All right? <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> a statue. There was a time they put a statue down and said, bow down. And that was bowing to Satan. But this modern day, you know the truth? People will hardly give you a statue to bow to. Oh, they will hardly give you a statue to bow to. Come on, you're a pastor. Why would you bow to a statue? Think about it. You come here and I say, look, Pastor Banke, you want this ministry to move. You want the ministry to advance. There's no problem. We'll help you. He said, oh yeah, um, Tiger, bring in the thing. They now bring in one large box. Open it. You now see one wooden carving with golden earrings. You understand? And silver waistband and all kinds of things. And say, listen, this is a modern bow. This is bow. Bow, Pastor Banky. And this ministry will explode. Satan is not that stupid. He has weighed it. This guy will never agree. He will never agree. So you know what he will do? That same Baal, that same Baalzebub, that same spirit will come. But this time around, he will wear a suit. He will be shining. And he will, do... <laughs> he will show up looking very nice. They are not going to bring a, a statue inside a box. The guy will be cleanly dressed. Then they will now come to you and say, look, Pastor Bank, you know the reason why ministry is not moving? Is that you don't have enough money. If we can take this ministry and put it on these different radio stations and television stations and this one, they will promote you on Linda Ikeji's blog. Yes. And then by that time, you need to, you dress like this, you dress like this, do your hair this way, and you pose with this person and this person and that person. In a year, the ministry will blow. Say, but I don't have money for that now. Say, ah, that's nothing. Now, this really happened to Andrew Womack, what I'm about to tell you now. They actually came to him and said, look, we'll help you raise maybe about $2 million. And what we'll do is that we'll produce a brochure for your mailing list, your partners, and describe the things you're about to do. And then we'll give the opportunity to key into it. So he looked at it and said, but I'm not planning to do these things you guys have written. They said, it doesn't matter. And they mentioned the name of one other prominent minister that they've done it for. And this, they were able to raise maybe $10 million for that one. Maybe all they're asking for, maybe all they're asking for is just 15% of everything. He said he looked at them and told them to carry their wala and get out. See, maybe in Nigeria they said, don't worry, just give me your pulpit two days. He start promising what God did not promise. People start keying into an anointing that's not present. The one that makes me laugh all the time is that they say, look, when I was coming, God spoke to me 
that 15 people are going to give 1 million each. So those of you who should come forward quickly, and immediately there's going to be a breakthrough before this week is over. And the Lord has spoken to me that, but then the guy finally said, all right, let's even assume you don't have 1 million. I said, but you said God said to you that, yeah, that's what happens. My problem with God saying that thing is that he says it to everybody. I've heard more than 10 preachers say it. Now, I'm going somewhere. When they start using the word of God, Paul said, we have renounced the secret things of dishonesty. When, when people don't renounce it, what they don't realize is that they are bowing to Satan. That's what, I'm talking, that's what I'm talking about. You are bowing to the devil. They will not bring a statue for you. They know, oh, come on, think about it. Uh-uh. Even if I was not a believer, do I look like a statue-bowing person? No, look at me. Who's fine, me or the statue? No, I will want the statue, boy, bow. Look at your... <laughs> no, think about it. This modern day, we are not into statue, but we don't bow to statues recklessly. We bow to other things. Are you getting what I'm trying to say? That's what we bow to these days. We bow to business connections. Ah, I don't want to, you know, let me know, let me know so that I don't get sidetracked. You will know that some of the people that make reckless, this man opened a company, sold it for $300 million, $500 million. Look at this small boy. You think it's because he's wise? Some of them are bow to certain things. You are not aware. And now, what I'm saying, I just wanted to let us know. So in life, remember I said at the beginning, every decision you make in life, you are bound to something. So make sure that your decisions reflect the word of God. And Rumax said to those people, get away from here. Essentially, where God will not take me to, in my walk in righteousness, may I never get there. Any door God will not open by himself and pull me through. Please, don't knock it down for me. Don't make me jump through the window. Everything has a door and many windows. Thieves and robbers, they're coming through the window. That's what Jesus said. Anybody telling you to subvert God's word, go against the principles of righteousness to get a result, is telling you don't use the gates of righteousness. Don't use the gates of God. Now, please, let, let, let me try and stick with my message. I'm just going to amplify what we read there. But I was saying to you earlier, anything you get, even when you bow to Satan, is just the thing that God wanted to give you. The difference is how you get it and how quickly it will come. If God wants to give you something, he will say to you, walk before me and be perfect. Now, 25 years with that. Walk before me and be perfect. 25 years of stumbling, getting up, telling lies, being corrected, farming, running, coming back with Hagar, Hagar caused problems in the family. You send Hagar away. I hope you're getting my point here. Look, the same blessing, but God said, listen, I want to prepare you for the blessing that I have prepared for you. Uh, Did you hear what I said? God says, I want to prepare you to receive the blessing which I prepared for you already. If I give it to you now, you will lose it. Satan says, why walk before anybody? Just bow to me. With all these imperfections, I give you now. That is the difference. Satan can never, ever give you something God did not plan to give you. If Satan, let me just give you a trick. Satan comes to you and says, join this cult. I will give you this. Say, describe the thing very well. When they finish describing, they say, thank you. Now you are giving me an idea <laughs> of where God is taking me to. But let me let you know, I won't follow you. You have only leaked the future to me. Now I know I must work with God until I surpass that thing you offered. No, I'm not in a hurry. I'm very patient. I will obey God until he brings forth that result in my life. At the end of the day, we saw that Revelation chapter 11. Jesus went through the cross. He went to the cross, went through it, went to death, went to the grave. He, He was raised up on the third day. And then at the end of everything, he said, now... The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His and of His Christ. And what will happen? And they shall reign. Forever. How long? Forever. How long? Forever. How long? Forever. 
If you wait for God, the thing will last. That's the way it works. The Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. Now, again, like I said, that's just a side trip. That's not the main message. The main message is just to emphasize the fact that there are kingdoms in there. That's what we are teaching. That's the line of our teaching. There are kingdoms in there. And there are different aspects of life. That's what we are trying to see. That is not just one aspect of life that we have. And what God has proposed, what he has planned, is that each individual will go into the different aspects of life and, listen to this, reflect him there. We said last time that we are the current day living word of God. What do I mean by that? Is God faithful? The only way the world will know is by our faithfulness. They don't know your God. God says, if I want to show those who don't know me personally what faithfulness is, I will take one of my children and plant the person there. Say, you, live a life of faithfulness. They will know that faithfulness is possible. I hope you are getting my point here. God says, listen, that's what I want to do. They can't see me. They don't know what I am like. Every time I want to describe myself to people, I have to look for somebody they can see. And then I describe me, myself, to that person. Then he or she reflects me. And then those who can't see me can see him. They can see her. And that's why the name is God of Abraham. Are you getting my point? He did that with Abraham. For us now, he said, our father. So he takes one of his children and says, go out there. And be another expression of Hebrews chapter 1 that says we are the exact representation of his nature. God can be every. Look, there are many aspects to him. That's what people don't understand him sometimes. Sometimes when I see those of us who grew up under the word of faith movement, that's the problem we have sometimes. They say God never does this. They don't understand that God has many aspects. They only look, they only look at the, you know, at one side of God. There's God the judge. They hardly realize that as a judge, he has to rule the whole earth. Not by how he feels, but as per how it is right. What am I going to say? In the same manner, there is, listen, listen, listen. God has to show that he's a good designer. So when it comes to a, a particular area of engineering, he puts a spirit upon people. And that spirit is from himself. He takes a spirit from inside him and pours into a man, and the man starts giving fantastic engineering designs. And they ask him, how did you do this? He says, there is a spirit in man, and the inspiration of the Almighty gives him understanding. God said, that is what I told you to go and do. Thank you very much. When they wanted to make artistic designs, he called two men. One, his name was Bezalel. The other one, his name was Oholiab. I said, okay, two of you, he told Moses, I have poured my spirit inside them, the spirit of the craftsman. Once you give them gold and silver and wood, they bring anything you can imagine out of it. The same way God at the beginning in creation designed, listen, yesterday we were watching um, National Geographic Wild in my house. You know what I was seeing when I saw? <laughs> How many of you know what they call a python? No, a python. What does it do? Strangles people and things <laughs> and swallows. Then, but you know, he has one brother or cousin called the boa constrictor. You know about that one? Yeah, they are similar. Then I have one senior uncle. <laughs> they call it the anaconda. Yesterday, I saw an anaconda, saw a boa constrictor, pursued it, and began to swallow it. That one wrong. <laughs> that one had to use his weight, Humphrey. On a tree until the boy, the anaconda, couldn't hold the weight, and the boy fell to the ground and ran away for his life. And I saw, no, you see one snake like this, with one small head. The body is like the statue of Nebuchadnezzar. Are you getting my point? In size, height. And they said, This is a mass of muscle. If it grips you, you ain't going anywhere. You know, as we were watching it yesterday in my house, and I was just thinking, say, God, my, now wow. You get time the design. Are you getting my point? <laughs> that is all kinds of animals. Do you know God sketched them one by one? Drew them one by one. 
He said, no, the Bible said that he just said, let there be light. Listen, I'm not saying he didn't say, let there, let there be this, let them be that. He did. But listen, that is, a, that is how to summarize, like what to sketch in 10 years. He says he, he does it like, <laughs> yeah, in half a second, it's done. But he still has to write it. He still has to draw it. By the words of his mouth, he had to create those ones one by one. So when God wants to create new things, he takes that spirit of the creator, the inventor, and it drops into the heart of somebody. And they start inventing machines. Like I said the other day, Jesus said there is no good but God. So any good thing you see a man do, are you getting my point? It is God that put that spirit into the person and said, do this. So God has many aspects. That's what I'm trying to make. And he says, for me to demonstrate what I am in one aspect, I send somebody in there. In another aspect, I send another person. Many people still think that it is preacher. You know, that's what I'm trying to emphasize again today. It's not the preacher alone that is doing the work of God. We know God also preaches. Yeah, we know he does. We know he does. He teaches you in the way you should choose. So he puts the spirit of the teacher. Drop inside the mouth of some people. You are getting the point. It's the same spirit of God. He's the one that teaches people. So God has different aspects. And he says, each person, go and represent me in your own area that I ordained that you should represent me in. It's not only preachers that are doing the work of God. I'm emphasizing today that what people call secular work is God's work. That's my message I'm preaching this particular season now. And we all, as believers, must show the faithfulness of God in those areas. Yes, we must. We must. Listen, I was reading this book again, Algilo to Nose, Mover of Men and Mountains. I, I talked about the book some time ago here. And the story of the man's life again was quite, of course, uh, you know, enlightening. There, now, listen to the story. There was a time that, let me summarize it this way, there was pressure in his soul. His spirit was being provoked to serve, more, uh, to serve God more than ever before. I think he had a sister or a relative that was a missionary. So, of course, naturally, they looked up to that one as somebody who was doing the work of God. So, one day, they had a major program in town, and he followed his sister, some relatives. They all went there, friends, to go and attend. And the preacher made altar calls and all of that. He rededicated his, his life to a higher service of God. All right? And began, by that time, he was in business, doing some form of engineering and all of that. So, he decided that, well, we have to serve God properly. That pressure was inside his soul. But how do we go about it? All that was in his mind is, do I join this young woman, I think his sister, going to China as a missionary? Or do I, what do I do? Do I go and join the church and become a pastor and stuff like that? Those thoughts were going through his mind. That was all he understood. But that program they came for that day, he just felt it was wise to go and talk to that preacher that came to town. So he booked an appointment to go and see the man. So they began to talk. So when he finished telling the man every pressure in his heart and things that he was thinking about, the man said, all right, you see me later. So he left. I guess I went to pray about his situation. When he came back, the man told him simply. He said that thing was ringing in his head after that. He said to him simply, God needs businessmen as much as he needs missionaries. He had never heard that before in his life. So the man just said to him simply, my brother, God needs businessmen as much as he needs missionaries. That was the first time he realized that you mean being a businessman, doing what I am doing, can actually be the service of God? He left that place, dropped the idea of missions, dropped the idea of becoming a pastor, and said, this business, we will do it. God gave him the spirit of the inventor. He began to invent things. He was making money from it and decided to be given 90% of what he earned to support those who were doing missions. The idea of going out on missions disappeared from him that day because a man spoke to him and said, listen, God needs businessmen as much as he needs missionaries. Listen, the man affected his world. He invented machines. As far as he was concerned, any work you can't do, you have not invented the machine. So he gave him a work to do. He invents a machine to do it. 
He's credited with inventing earth-moving equipment. And all of those things, if I if you read the story, I can't go into them now. You see the inspiration of God in them. But why I'm bringing up the story is that that day, he said he dawned on him that what I am doing can actually be the work of God. And that's my preaching today. Listen, we've talked about the fact that we are to reflect God's character. We've talked about the fact that we are the demonstration of his righteousness. And I'm saying today, where do we do that? And I'm saying wherever you work, that is a platform of God for you to demonstrate his righteousness. Not only in church. Preachers are not the only ones doing the work of ministry. If you read that Ephesians chapter 4, let's just read it again since we are looking at the scriptures. I particularly like King James in that particular area. Ephesians chapter 4. See what it says here. Um, where do I start it from? Let's, so as to save time. Okay, we know the fact that he said that he ascended on high, he gave gifts unto men, and then let's start from verse 11. He said he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. Now this is the point. Verse 12 is where actually where I want. He said, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. Now if you have a King James, it says he's equipping the saints for what? Read it again. Let me hear. For the work of ministry. That is, every child of God is actually doing the work of ministry. That's something I want, to, I want us to understand. Every child of God is doing the work of ministry. And each person has an area of life where he or she is supposed to bring the Spirit of God into that place. I'm not saying, no, this mistake we make a lot of times that we say that is where I'm supposed to preach. No! That's not what I'm saying. You will preach there, Amen? Yes, you will preach there. Oh, most certainly, you will preach there. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying that is where you are supposed to inject the Spirit of God into. That's what we are saying. Many people see their office at the place I go to preach. No, 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 no. That's not the primary reason why you go to that office. It's the place you go to work. For example, you are a doctor. You go to that place to work, and that work, as you're talking to a patient, is the ministry of God. Not let's do church work, uh, let's, let's do medical work, then put it aside. Let's now do the work of God. Have you given your life to Christ? Now listen, asking somebody like that is good. Thank God this is not America. Nobody's going to harass you for preaching to your patient. Nigeria will preach to our patient if we like. If he doesn't want to hear, he says, no, I don't want to hear. But you can't sue me. Nobody's going to fire me, all right? So I understand that we should do that. I'm not, I'm, not, um, I'm not belittling that at all. But I'm saying that that's not what we're talking about. We're saying that as I'm making good diagnosis and as I'm being attentive to care for my patient, that is my work of ministry, if I'm working there. I'm a secondary school teacher. I go to work. It's not let me do this so as I'll get money to go and do the work of God, which is what a lot of Preachers who don't understand still pass across to believers. I've heard preachers say it before that you do, you know, some of you can't serve God on Sunday for just a few hours, but you serve your boss that's not believing from Monday to Saturday. It's not like that. I'm not serving my boss, I'm serving the Lord. He just happens to be a senior man in the place where I'm serving the Lord. I'm serving God from Monday. To the next Monday. And when God wants to judge me, he judges me in the place where he places me primarily. Let's never forget that. There's a scripture we're going to read just now. But let me explain something. There's a story I tell all the time. And please, when I recommend a book, and you've heard me recommend it for three months, and you still haven't read it. You must be very wicked. <laughs> I can't understand that kind of wickedness. Don't put up your hand outwardly, but in your heart, put up your hand. If you have listened to me for more than six months, you've been coming here off and off for at least six months, and you have not read The Happiest People on Earth, put up your hand inside your heart. <laughs> let, me not let me not tempt you. How can you not... I mean, as of today, I've talked about that book so much. Oh, good enough. It's not available. 
the uh, soft copy is now flying around. My own is a hard copy, but it's flying around now. Can I digress for a second? This phone in your hand was not meant for Facebook. I, 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 thanks for, to Mark who came to Nigeria, but the phone was not meant for Facebook. Instagram, <laughs> you can argue with this. Oh. I don't know whether God sent you to Instagram. <laughs> Let me put it like that. What are you looking at? Did they, did, did they, did, did, do, do messages <laughs> appear as photographs? How many ones? What is it for? If you are following a celebrity here, in Jesus' name, repent. On Instagram. If you are keeping up with the Kardashians, may God have mercy on your soul. What I wanted to say is different, but let me say that one I said. <laughs> if you are going somewhere far in life, you can't be keeping up with jobless people. Keeping up with the Kardashians. When you have not kept up with, uh, with Matthew, Mark, Luke... If you are following Two-Face, repent. Listen, from today, I am instructing you, if you come back here, that means you want me to teach you the word of God. Have If you are following Two-Face, what's the name of that guy that's fighting police right now in America? Chris Brown? Yes. If you are following anybody like that on Twitter, Instagram, where do they follow people? Facebook, Snapchat, why are you even on Snapchat? What are you hiding? <laughs> what are you chatting that you, want, you don't want people to see? Snapchat is for those who want to say bad things and nobody will see it. Please stop following jobless people, okay? Alright? I'm not saying don't do Facebook. Use Facebook to connect with people who know the Lord. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm not saying it's bad. Some people are using it for fantastic ministry. Yeah. And if you're following celebrity on anything, your Christianity is in doubt. Amen. If you're on Facebook, make sure you're either doing ministry or you're connecting with serious people. Alright? Please. On Twitter, follow people who say things that edify you. Yeah. Follow serious people. 